1: Welcome to episode 26 of The Wizard Files, the special interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine. Joining us this time around is a man who edited the crap out of The Guide to Comics from 1999 until the publication's abrupt end in 2011, while enjoying some nerdy hijinks in between. We're excited to welcome to the show, Andy Serwin. How you doing?
0: Very good, thank you. Thanks for having me on today, guys. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, we. We have to say, before we get into the world of comics, I personally created another podcast here on the Retro Network called Rental Return Tales from the Video Store, where I interview former video rental store employees from the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Now, according to your profile as one of the damned, you used to work in a video store, so how would you compare that experience to working at
0: Wizard? Uh, it was it was great, Adam. I can tell you, you know, much like a lot of future famous nerds such as Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino, instead of film school, I thought working at a video store was really all the preparation I was going to need for a long-lasting and successful career in film. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great job because it was my friend's dad who ran the place. It was a, a place called the Video Hut in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, and yeah, it was great, man. I you know I, I'd be in there for an eight-hour shift. I'd get three or four movies in no problem the worst thing that would happen is i'd have to deal with hooligans oh you know like middle school hooligans would come into the store cause a ruckus blah 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 now i got to play the heavy and kick kids out and stuff oh and weirdos with their adult films that was the other <laughs> kind of stumbling block to that but other than that you know like yeah the opportunity to just sit there and watch movies for several hours a day and then talk about movies with the people who would come in you know everyone wants a recommendation hey what's a good be horror movie what's the latest action film you know what's a fun rom-com for a date you know so it was definitely sort of a proving ground for wizard in the sense that i got to nerd out about movies and you know it was it was great prep work for wizard too i mean you had to know your stuff uh you would get called out and you know if you were if you were the guy throwing out bad facts or bad information in a meeting, you would get called out on it and be made fun of. Rightfully so. (laughs) So, hey, if you ever want to have me on to talk about video store stuff, I would totally be a guest on that podcast. That's what I was going to say. We may have to extend the
1: second invitation here. Sounds like there's a lot to get into. But I say right now we're going to go ahead. We're going to rewind. All right. We're going to go back to the beginning of your journey before
0: video stores,
1: before Wizard. How did comic books enter your life?
0: Well, you know, I'm probably like a lot of uh kids from my generation my dad was who turned me on to comics i mean he was a kid in the 60s and he was reading those marvel comics when they were coming out you know like amazing fantasy and fantastic four x-men you know when these were hitting the shelves my dad was a kid buying that stuff up and so uh it was funny he (laughs) went into the service and he was in the army during vietnam and uh when he came back after serving my grandmother had thrown out all his comics No. Don't laugh about that. You know, like that's, you know, he was sitting on, if they had been able to keep it in good condition, he was sitting on a gold mine. And I remind him of that all the time. (laughs) He would threaten to throw my comics out when I, (laughs) when I was a teenager and stuff. So yeah, I remember very distinctly, Adam, we were going on a road trip to Florida, driving from New Jersey. My dad took five bucks, went into like a convenience store and came out with just like a handful of comics is, you know, whatever he could hold in his hand. And that, that kept me busy in the car there and back you know it was marvel nbc it was whatever was around my dad wasn't too particular but that you know right from the get-go probably age four or five he got me hooked and then it was all his fault from there
1: <laughs> so as i assume you you kept reading you're enjoying them but what then led to you pursuing a job at wizard specifically and what was your hiring process like
0: yeah so I was working full-time on the sports desk at my local newspaper. That was my first full-time job after college where I worked my way up from stringer to full-timer. And then, you know, I was working there for a couple of years and I was getting burnt out because I was working nights We were working sometimes six, seven days a week. It was a two-man operation. The both of us, we were best friends and we were dying on the vine just from burnout. And I was, you know, looking around on the fledgling internet (laughs) because this is about how far back we're talking about. And I remember seeing Wizard had a couple job postings for like writers and editors. And so I, you know, sent my resume in, all that stuff. And I figured, oh, you know, this will just go nowhere. And I remember I applied for that job in March and I didn't hear from them until like August of that same year. I had a good phone conversation. They had me in for an in-person meeting. You know, that was surreal, like being at a lunch with 14 or 15 staffers. And there's like Jim McLaughlin is there. Brian Cunningham is there. Matt Senreich is there. Like a lot of the bigwigs are there. And like, you know, half the guys are only there for a free lunch. They could not care less. You know, is it an interview? (laughs) They don't care. Half of those guys were just there for a free meal, much like I was many times afterwards. So, you know, they're going about their thing and also interviewing me at the same time. And I remember, (laughs) I remember very distinctly, there were a couple guys who kept referring to me as a geek, you know, like, hey, you know, what geeks you out? What are you a nerd about and stuff? And I'm like, I don't know who you're talking about, man. I don't see any geeks over here, you know, like, because... Where I grew up in Pennsylvania, you didn't want to be a geek, you know, you if you weren't running with the jocks or the popular kids, you know, that was just how it went. And so to hear someone call me a geek, I didn't get that at first, you know, I, I kind of co-opted that term later on. But yeah, dude, that was surreal. Like sitting at that table talking about X-Men and Spider-Man and Vertigo and like whatever was hot at that time. And just feeling at that time, like it was so like I'm finally with my people. Like I have found my tribe. I didn't know anyone who read comic books when I was growing up in Pennsylvania. It just was not a thing that anyone did. And so like to realize that there was a community of like minded people, you know, like I, that the light bulb went off at that point, and I just was like, Man, let me nail this interview, you know, and it, everything worked out. It just, uh, they called me a few weeks later and offered me the position, and I took it right on the spot. And then I went and told my mom and dad, and they were like, How are you gonna make it in New York? And that was just like, I don't care, you know, I'll figure it out. To me, like, wizard was the be all end all, that's the job I wanted in comics because I couldn't draw. So, I knew I was never going to be an artist. And I didn't realize people actually wrote comics. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> so, that was never on my mind. I was, I always came at Wizard as a fan. I started reading it with like issue. 10 or something like that was the first one I found and like dude that was it For me that was my dream job so when they Offered me that gig I took it and I never Looked back after that
1: yeah I mean That's awesome that's, that's a great introduction There <laughs> to the whole crew And yeah to the whole vibe now You obviously made a, a good first Impression because you appear in the Wizard masthead in issue number 99 wherein Dr. Doom had conquered The wizard offices and dominated The content from cover to cover he changed different features and sections and he's popping up you know there's even a picture where he beat up brian cunningham (laughs) but also the joke in the masthead that time around is everyone is listed as a lackey you're a lackey to do so you are appearing there for the first time as a lackey until issue 100 you're finally revealed to be the copy editor yeah,
0: I I would have been thrilled to just be a lackey. <laughs> I thought that was such a great little tidbit to start right out of the gate. Honestly, Adam, I barely touched anything in that issue, you know, I think it was that was probably already at the printers and and on its way to the newsstands by the time I started. Like somehow I worked my way in, but I really did contributed almost nothing to that issue other than sort of I just happened to get hired at that time. But I remember distinctly, you know, you know, one of the guys in research had to dress up so Dr. Doom could put his feet on him like a footstool or whatever. And just like seeing some of that stuff was like, So surreal. Like, this is my job now, you know, like we're just doing crazy things to entertain people and make them laugh. And I was all about it. It was funny. I think Dan Riley would tell you this story too, our research editor. Right. It was hard to get people to do things for the photo shoots after a while because a lot of those guys had been there. Well, when the newbie started up, forget about it. If they asked for a volunteer, dumbass Andy was in the back raising his hand, like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, bury me under 300 pounds of jelly beans, or I'll wear the Viking helmet and run around the building." You know, like I was all about that kind of stuff. So I remember very distinctly seeing that stuff and just thinking it's like magic here. Like it it blew my mind that people could have that much fun while they were doing their jobs.
1: Yeah, I mean that was definitely the vibe we were getting as the readers. So it's. It's wonderful to know that it lived up to that but concurrently then with issue 100 your next issue there wizard 2000 was released and prior to that there was this whole like countdown these quarter boxes on covers in the previous
0: months leading up to that do you recall anything about wizard 2000 it's so funny man i had to go back i used to have a full run of Wizard somewhere in my house and I'm sad to say like i i got rid of it in one of my more bitter angrier moments but i i did look around and i, I remember distinctly you know, like that issue was all about like, what's the future of comics? You know, like it was going to be like the theme for the whole thing. And it seems quaint to even think about it now. But, oh, digital comics will be a thing. Hello, everybody owns a tablet or reads them on their phone or whatever at this point. And I remember very distinctly one of the things we were trying to do to kind of give us a sales bomb from a business perspective was to try to make these issues feel more special and to treat them like an event at So we really got to the point where we were trying to do at least one of those every year, aside from like the year ender and the year preview, like those big meaty issues. So, you know, I think it was just all about trying to give the readers and the fans a lot of extra special content that they could really sink their teeth into. And, you know, like Wizard 2000 was sort of the template for a lot of the things that came later with like Wizard Zero. And then when we changed size ratio and all that stuff, you know, like so it wasn't out of the ordinary but it was definitely something that was like three issues in one to try to put that whole issue together because there was there was so much content and a lot of it was taking some deep dives into what was going on and a lot of moving parts with that everybody was busy we you know the interns were dropping dead and the full-timers were staying till all hours of the night to make sure everything was getting done with that and you know like we had an Alex Ross cover on there and uh That was always a big plus up for us whenever we got him to be on the front. And yeah, man, that was just a fun issue. And that was really kind of would set the stage, I think, for a lot of what we would do moving forward from that point when whenever we tried to do those big special meaty issues.
1: Yeah, no, it's really interesting. You know, as I flip through it as well, you know, where I see your name is mainly in the wizard news section. You have this little thing about John Romita Jr. at a baseball game thrown out a first pitch and then Mike Allred launching the Atomics. And that is one of my favorite comics ever. So there you were breaking the news for me.
0: Yeah, that, that's how they brought you along, right? They, they would bring you on board and then when they would kind of give you these little piecemeal things, I, you know, I remember adam guys coming up to my desk and like just dropping gigantic manila folders on my desk and be like you're in charge of contests now and they would just walk away and then it's like all right we're figuring out what contests are <laughs> you know and then like so they would pr- kind of bring you along on all these little things like here's a little news story you know make sure you're proofreading this do all this stuff it's funny because i didn't i never considered myself a very competitive person but i wanted bylines like once i got at wizard like i wanted to make sure I was getting bylines, I was going to have content, there you were going to see stories from me and at the time they were very hesitant to sort of let editors write, you know, and then there were, there were other guys like me who wanted to write more and so we were trying to push the envelope a little bit with that and Gratefully, the guys, you know, started giving us a little bit more room to hang ourselves with, which was great. You know, like you start pitching features and all that other stuff and that, you know, you got to sort of work your way in. You know, nobody's going to hand you a 12 page whatever your first pitch out of the gate. You know, like my first contact, I started with Harris Comics which published Vampirella, and they don't even exist anymore, and like, you know, like, I covered Hart Fisher and Boneyard Press or whatever it was, and, you know, like, you'd come into a news meeting and say, oh, well, I've got this great thing from Vampirella, and, like, no offense, but it's not really gonna move the needle the way X-Men, Spider-Man, Batman, Superman, so, you know, you had to stay kind of positive in that regard, because they started you out on these little beats, and you kind of had to work your way in, so, yeah, it was definitely one of those things where oh, John Ramita is thrown out of baseball? I'll write that story, because I had a sports background, so it was like, hey, I should be able to talk to him about going to a pro game or whatever it was, and so, yeah, I always looked at it as, the, the more of those little jobs you took and did well on, it would kind of add up to something a little bit bigger down the road.
1: Yeah, I mean, your go-getter spirit seemed to get you high profile from the beginning, because, yeah, in Issue 101, you all of a sudden had a feature article, the Joe Madrera project is a parody of the, uh, the Blair Witch project, you know, the a big close-up photo with the flashlight and everything—very, very 90s. But then you just, yeah, you just kept continuing showing up, writing other sections until you were made associate editor with issue 118. So, how would you really describe that first year and a half of getting your feet wet as a wizard staffer, than becoming that kind of editor, we're going from copy editing to
0: associate editor? Like, what were you in charge of? Oh God! Well, first of all, <laughs> there was almost nothing that I was actually in charge of. <laughs> There were things that I was responsible for shepherding. And keep in mind, I didn't know anything about magazines when I came to Wizard. Like, my background was in daily newspapers. So to me, to go from, I had to write something in a day to now where you have, like, a week or two weeks where, you, you know, it needs to be good and it needs to be factual. You need to get the people on the phone and all that stuff. So there's some reporting involved. It really was, like, making sure you didn't screw up anything. Because in my mind, you know, the first time you make a mistake, they're going to get rid of you, right? And that's not the reason reality like mistakes are going to happen things are going to happen but you don't want to look like a, a stumbling fool right out of the gate so yeah that first 18 months was a lot of like you're getting delegated things that other people don't want to work on to some degree right so i took over the video game section you know i wasn't really a gamer i got assigned the anime manga section I didn't know anything. Like, I knew they published comics in Japan, but I didn't know anything about it. And we didn't really have the manga and the anime specialists yet. That was still to kind of come down the road a little bit. So, yes, if you can get your way through those columns that you don't know anything about, and kind of make them successful, then you can sort of start to lean into the things that you really care about and that you really want to do. So then after a while, I started segueing into Last Man Standing, was like the first big thing that I got assigned to, and that was a lot of fun. That was always one of my favorite things, I'll reiterate. It was two random characters that we paired together in a big made-up fight, and we would get like top-level comics talent to draw it, which was great. We could never do that now. No one would ever give you permission to do any of that. But back then it was not uncommon to get Darth Vader and Doctor Doom in a piece and have Jay Lee draw it or whoever it was. So when they gave me that, that let me stretch my l- wings a little bit because now all of a sudden I'm responsible for not only coming up with the pairings, but who's going to draw them and then making sure everything's on time too. So, you know, you work with the research team and everything like that. Now you're juggling six art projects, you know, every month. And that's a lot of fun. You get to art direct and, hey, can we put this here? Hey, can she put her leg up there? Or, you know, can we add in some unicorns in the background or whatever it is? So, yeah, Last Man Standing was my first thing where I really got to kind of make my mark. Then it was casting call which was another big popular feature that was one you know where we pick actors to play in your favorite comic book movies and again that was another thing where you got to do a lot of research work with the research team finding the mug shots finding the actors finding the comic book characters doing all the write-ups you know like that was a lot of fun so again you got to be super creative with all that stuff
1: yeah i mean obviously yeah last Man standing very very big very very popular did you have to literally get each time approved so you'd call each publisher or rights holder and say hey we want to use this? Or how did that actually go?
0: So in theory, that's what was supposed to happen. And on occasion, it did. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of the publishers that we covered to some degree had business dealings with us outside of the magazine. I don't think that's a secret. You know, I mean, people kind of know what the industry was about at that point. And so they would kind of look the other way. We want permissions for certain characters, of course. And, you know, if you want to use some of our exclusive talent, we have to have some say over what they're doing. Right. So perfect example is Libra Mayho was a dude. That I loved his artwork. He was kind of breaking into the mainstream scene right about the time I was starting at Wizard and really enjoyed his artwork. And I was dying to get him in the magazine. And DC was like, yeah, anything you want. But he has to draw DC characters. It can't be Marvel versus DC or whatever. And like, so how do we come up with that? And we had him pit the Justice League Unlimited versus the Legion of Superheroes. So VC signed off on that, and that was a no-brainer for us. You know, trying to come up with little solutions like that to help out the guys that you liked, it was very unofficial in that sense, Adam, but, you know, then later on, after Disney bought out Marvel, you know, we couldn't get away with anything like that. You know, they they were never going to give us those kind of permissions. So, you know, we took advantage of it while we could. <laughs> there was a lot of guerrilla creative happening at that point, and uh yeah, it, that, that was a feature that the readers just seemed to really respond to. And then when we were able to work in, like, reader polls and stuff like that we were able to make it a little bit more interactive and then it got really fun at that point yeah so for you that obviously that
1: was you know a labor of love just a whole lot of fun is there another particular feature or section of the magazine you were involved in that you were particularly proud of over your time at wizard
0: from a recurring feature perspective no i mean you know i there were things that people started i was lucky enough to come in and kind of take advantage of that feature wise you know as i you know the longer i put in my tenure there i got to work on a lot of Cool things. You know, you brought up the Joe Mad feature. You know, that was the first thing I ever got to do for them in a long form. Going out and doing those photo shoots, being able to go to Joe Madarera's house and having him host us and play along with the whole bit was awesome. One thing I did later on in my tenure that I'm super proud of that I loved was 100 Things About 100 Bullets was a feature that I put together that was like in I think one of the last issues we ever did but uh, I I loved Brian Azzarello's book from the get-go and I devoured it my entire time I was at Wizard and so when they were wrapping that book up and you know we wanted to do like a retrospective of it I was the first one to jump on that all my movie set visits I got to go to Budapest for Hellboy 2 and I was there for five days that was a phenomenal getting to go to um the tomb raider set when angelina jolie was in the first movie i was in england for a week that was an amazing experience oh getting to go to montreal to i went on to the set of white out i interviewed greg Rucca on the set there for a piece which was super fun because uh greg was a guy i got to cover a lot and we knew each other a little bit so he was a great subject and just him having me there and being able to hang out in that setting was a lot of fun
1: yeah let's let's get into that a little bit because you know a lot of these staffers you're building like actual friendships and relationships with a lot of these comic book professionals that were featured in the pages you know sometimes it was business and then sometimes it's like hey it seems like we get along really well did you have any particular favorite comic book
0: professionals that you got to interact with or maybe just a hero worship moment so many of those it's like my first couple months at wizard i'm sitting at the desk working minding my own business and the phone rings and the receptionist is like oh there's a call from you from la she didn't tell me who it was so then i i'm like hello this is andy serwin from wizard and it's stan lee on the telephone Whoa. and he's like hey my friend jim mclaughlin told me to give you a call and talk about this thing <laughs> so, that was mind-blowing to me you know like to have stan lee calling me and like asking for me like i you know i, I just about pooped my pants at my desk that <laughs> day um but you know i mentioned greg Rucca and brian azarello those two guys are fantastic Couple guys like Rags Morales was a guy who was from where I was in Pennsylvania, so we kind of knew each other a little bit and got to be real friendly while I was there. Jeff Johns was another guy. I mean, he was very early in his comics tenure, and I'd be bullshitting with him on the telephone about Black Panther for an hour and a half after hours. (laughs) Phil Jimenez is a guy I still talk to. I get on the phone or I trade texts with Phil once a month or whatever just to check in and see how he's doing, and you know, being able to. Alex Ross and Mike Mignola were two of my beats for a long time when I was at Wizard. And so, you know, just being able to interact with those guys and being able to like, you know, shoot the shit with Alex Ross or, you know, get the inside dope from uh, Mike Mignola was a lot of fun. Those were two guys whose work I really admired. And then getting to know them was just an added benefit of what I was doing at Wizard oh
1: yeah the dream for sure now the other side of that though is you got to work with some pretty awesome people as well the wizard bullpen you know is known for their pranks and competitions <laughs> and overall goofiness much of which was published in the pages and some of which we've now been hearing about in this series so what are some of the more infamous wild moments from your tenure that you can share you know without incriminating your former
0: coworkers. well that's okay a lot of this is public record so uh <laughs> yeah, I want to say I actually hated the pranks. I was the grumpy old man (laughs) of the crew at that point. But to be fair, the pranks were insanely creative and wonderfully executed. So I have to give the good with the bad. But the three pranks I remember the best, the one that we talked about a lot that I wasn't there for was somebody threw a dummy off of the roof of the building during a leadership meeting. So, it, you're, I mean, you know, you had Garab and all the marketing people and all the C-level execs were in this conference room and somebody snuck out on the roof and threw a dummy off of the roof during the middle of this meeting. And, you know, people were aghast. They thought somebody legitimately jumped, you know, out of a window or whatever. So that was always something that, you know, we got a, a chuckle out of here in that story. The two I was there for when they wrapped up the entire Toy Fair office in tinfoil. And when I tell you Adam like every single pencil, every stapler, every computer, every item in that entire office was wrapped in heavy duty commercial grade tin foil, it looked like the inside of something from 2001 a space odyssey. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. And then the wizard prank that I remember was <laughs> the time that they filled up all the cups of water and put them on the floor in the bullpen and then taped it up. So like You couldn't walk anywhere without kicking over liquid. So like four desks worth of area, the entire floor is covered with cups that are half filled with liquid. So like trying to walk anywhere or pick up stuff on your like it was just all covered with cups. It took full days to clean up from those (laughs) events. Those things didn't happen during deadline week, you know? Like, that happened during a little bit of downtime or after hours, and then we would normally need, like, a whole day to clean up from something like that, but those are the pranks that I remember the most that won't get anybody arrested. Yeah. What about, like, just, like,
1: after hours fun for you guys? Like, did you hang out much with everybody, or did you kind of do your own thing? Or it like, fun in the
0: office that I go have my life out For a lot of people, your whole life was wizard. And it was like that for me for a long time. You know, there were a certain couple of the higher ups, you know, guys like Pat McCallum would hang out all night and they'd be playing video games or doing some hero clicks or some other gaming stuff with the Inquest guys or the Toy Fair guys would be doing like, hey, let's get together and we'll play like a group Halo thing or rock band. And you just, you know, if you didn't have anything to do, you were just hanging out. So like five, six o'clock would roll around. We kind of wind work down. And then we'd all just be hanging out on our desk, playing video games, ordering pizza, whatever it was. And that was kind of like almost every night of the week, somebody would be in the office doing something fun like that. I mean, those people were our family. Absolutely. And I and this is the thing that brings it home. And I, I don't mean to get too maudlin' on you, Adam. Yeah. With 9-11 coming around, you know, 9-11 happened while I was there. and. That whole building stuck together that whole day. We didn't go anywhere. We were supporting each other the whole time. We were crying with each other. When I think about 9-11 now, that is specifically through a wizard lens. Because I wouldn't, you know, like, that was my family. That's who I went through that with. Yeah. And that was it for me. There, You know, some of those guys I still talk to to this day, love everybody that we worked with. I had no beef with anybody. You know, I can't say that about most of the other places I worked. <laughs> wizard was a magical place, dude. And we had problems. There was dysfunction, you know, when the company was having financial issues and all all that other stuff. Yeah, it was tough. But I, I couldn't imagine a better group of people to go through the tough things with than those guys I worked with That Wizard.
1: And it's interesting because, yeah, like you say, you were there for so long. And along your journey, by issue 138, you became managing editor of Wizard. Now, at issue 154, you're suddenly news editor. I don't know if that's a step up or step down. But then three issues after that, you disappear. (laughs) for like a year and a half almost. And so so issue 157, you're gone after that. So where did, were you abducted
0: by aliens? Like what happened here? I wish that would have been a much better story than what actually occurred. So I'll give you the bullet points real quick. So our managing editor was leaving to go to another job. The position was open. I expressed interest in it. It worked out. They made me the managing editor without a pay raise. (laughs) No pay raise, but now you're the managing editor. So, okay, great. And that was challenging because now, you know, you're working hand in hand with Brian. It's a lot more responsibility. I mean, it's a ton more responsibility, you know, and I felt like I that's what I wanted to do. It was a lot less creative. It's a lot more nuts and bolts. You're making sure everybody's on deadline and all that stuff. You're writing outlines. You're writing timelines. You're taking notes in meetings, like all that stuff. And so, you know, it was challenging. And I remember distinctly what happened. I was going to San Diego for a convention and a, a bunch of things fell through the cracks while I was gone. They bumped me down to news editor. And then a couple months later, I got let go with cause. And it's not something I'm ashamed to talk about or anything, but it's not a thing that a lot of people know about. I was proving to be a little bit of an impediment at the job at that point. Mentally, my head was not in a right space. And uh, I was having a lot of personality clashes with a couple of the higher ups there. And it just got to the point where if I'm not helping, I'm part of the problem right so they made a decision that my services were no longer needed and i joke now that it's like felix unger in the uh, odd couple you know like quest came from his wife uh, <laughs> you know listen they, they had to make a move and i'm mature enough to look back on it and it was the right thing for everybody at the time you know like i probably was taking the, the position for granted and taking my job for granted at that point. And I wasn't being respectful of some of my coworkers, And so, you know, they made their decision and I was gone for about a year and a half. I, I was out of work for a couple months and then I got another newspaper job and I was doing that night for about a year. And then uh, one of my buddies from Wizard, Jesse Thompson, I think he was leaving to go back to Nashville. he was married and had kids at that point. So uh, I reached out to some guys at Wizard and I said, you know, hey, uh, I'm around during the day. If you need a little bit of help, just copy editing or whatever it was. I just threw my name in a hat and I didn't think anything of it. I thought for sure I would never hear back. Well, you know, a couple weeks go by and I get a phone call from Joe Yagonarella, you know, who's like one of the senior higher ups there. And he says, hey, we want to get together with you and lunch and have a conversation. So I said, okay. So I went out to lunch and it was him and a couple of the other higher ups and, you know all the people I kind of had some issues with and we cleared the air. We had a great lunch and I, I walked out of there and I said, listen, I don't care what happens. You don't have to offer me work, job, whatever. I said, as long as we can walk out of here cool and, you know, if I see you again on the street, we can say hi and still be friends. That's all that matters to me. And then like a week or two later, they asked me if I wanted to come back and work again. So like I said, yeah, sure. So, you know, I was I was already sick of working nights at that newspaper gig. So I said, yeah, man, you know, and they rehired me. They brought me back in a different position, and it was like I was never gone, you know? Like nobody knew I was coming back at him. Like only like the higher-ups and Mike Cotton were aware that I was even starting back. And then, you know, I walk in on a Monday and people are like, What the fuck is <laughs> happening here? We fired him, and then like there I am. You know, everyone was super cool and we picked right back up again. And I hope everyone would say the same thing. I think I I had a much better go around the second time. I was much better to work with, I think. (laughs) the second time around than my first tenure at Wizard. And it's funny, we have a little saying, there's a couple people this happened to who left and came back. We call ourselves the Boomerang Club. Ah. Five or six of us that have left and come back, and some people have done it more than like three or four times. That's how much they love Wizard, you know. Yeah.
1: So you made you know your triumph or return here, like you said. This is now February of two thousand six, issue one seventy two. You're an associate editor. Then you move up to assistant managing editor, issue two hundred three, and then you ended your run with the magazine with the final issue of the magazine That's as right. features editor in two thousand eleven. So you said you had a better or go around, but what would you say was just the biggest change overall during your second tour of duty compared to when you started?
0: Keep in mind, you know, you you mentioned it. I came back around two thousand six, right? So then a year or two later, we're in the middle of the Great Recession. Unemployment's going through the roof. Wizard was certainly not immune to that. We used to call it Black Thursday because every Thursday for like weeks on end, that's when layoffs happened. Like two or three people would be called out of this department. These warehouse people got let go oh, we're shuttering this magazine and we're letting all the whole staff go. You know, it was like Survivor to a certain degree, right? Like every week we're like, who's going to still be around next week? And then when they started getting rid of the higher up, when they let go Joe Yanarella and they let go Pat McCallum and they let go Brian Cunningham. And now some of the younger guys are looking around and it's like, holy shit, we're the old guys now, you know, like when's, when's it going to be our turn? And then part and parcel of that was we moved. We moved from Rockland County into Manhattan hm So now all of a sudden, you know, the employees that were left, I used to have a 20 minute drive. Now I have a 90 minute train ride every day, trying to work out the logistics of all of that and everything. It was tough. And Wizard at the time, they weren't going to be very flexible. Like they were like, you have to work in the city until 530 or six o'clock, which means like, you know, you're not getting home till nine, 10 o'clock now with public transportation and everything. And when I say like it was a better go around, that was really only for me personally,
1: Yeah.
0: the situation was shit. You know, our friends were getting let go every couple of weeks. It's almost like you were immune because you had already been fired before. Survivor's guilt is a real thing when it comes to that. You know, like we had friends. MTV was laying off thousands of people at that time. Literally lie. It was like the corridors were lined with people who just had boxes of their stuff and they're waiting to go to HR to be told that they're, they've are they been laid off. It wasn't like that at Wizard, but that was what the general job market was like at that point. So getting let go in that environment was a tough thing to have to face, because you didn't know what the job market looked like now. Especially if you've only ever worked in comics, it's kind of hard to get a straight job after that, you know? Yeah. So.
1: Well, speaking of which, so, you know, many readers this point, when you're coming back to the magazine, they kind of say, oh, that's when the maximization of wizard happened right that's its downfall they lost their focus on comics and went hollywood during <laughs> those last few years and so of course nobody was buying it anymore they shot themselves in the foot but what is your take on that criticism as someone who was involved in helping the magazine evolve in that
0: direction first of all i love the term maximization i don't <laughs> think that i had ever heard that in conjunction with like what wizard went through i don't even remember what we called the transitioning or whatever the heck it was that we were i have no idea what we ever called it internally, but I like maximization. So I want to go on record to saying, I think that's a cool word. Yeah. You know, keep in mind when we went through all that personnel turnover, the guy who came in and took over operations was a guy by the name of Scott Gramling, who his background was at magazines like Maxim and Stuff Magazine, like those kind of like men's magazines that were big at the time in the late nineties, in the early aughts or whatever, Yeah, it came from a group that did those kind of magazines. So you're You're right. It was no secret that we were shedding readers a lot. So one of the reasons for the maximization, if I'm remembering it correctly, was we were trying to make headway outside of the specialty market. And the thinking was, if we upsized the magazine, it would stand out on the newsstand in places like Barnes and Noble and Borders, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, But, you know, like that was the thinking is like, hey, a bigger size wizard is going to stand out on the newsstand. And that's where we're going to to be able to make some headway with new readers. Well, the problem with that thinking was that the new readers aren't going to want to take a deep dive into comics the way we were doing with the original format right so when people say that internally the way we were looking at it was well we wanted to become a little bit more like Entertainment Weekly but with comics with an eye towards comic related movies and video games and stuff like that well yeah I mean we got into some situations where obviously then we started stretching it to where it's like sci-fi related and things like that and now we're talking about Battlestar Galactica which happened to be the best thing on TV at that point if there was a superhero show that would have been good at that point we would been covering the heck out of it. But I get it. People are so resistant to change, Adam. Readers, you know, they don't want the new thing. They want the old thing. We were changing tonally when all those guys left. A lot of that kind of humor, you know, we tried to keep some of that, but that was definitely endemic to the guys who were making that at the time. So, yeah, you know, I get it. It was just about trying to get more eyeballs on the newsstands because that's where we thought we could get readers. So, and just to
1: clarify as well, you know, because there was like the final day and people found out on. On a sunday don't come in monday you know that this real intense story there but did you have any idea like okay because it's not a farewell issue you know you have ryan reynolds on the cover of the last right. issue it doesn't say final wizard you know like it's just literally nothing comes out after that so how, how did that shake out on your side
0: we never got a good goodbye no one got to take a bow right there was none of that wow how to address that so clearly there was a plan in place what was going to happen when they folded up Wizard and Toy Fair. Like, I wasn't privy to those discussions, but I knew that they were happening. I didn't know what the plan was. I didn't find out until afterwards what the future plan was. But you got a sense, being in the building, that something was happening because things were changing there were new people coming into the building and you know like the editorial guys we really did not have a ton of interaction with the business people at that point we were in the same office building but a lot of the times we would leave to go off we would go to a bar and hang out and plan all our stuff and bring our laptops and do all cuz you had to be quiet in the office and we didn't have a space for that you know there was an inkling that something was going to happen and i remember coming in that last day and mike cotton pulled me aside and he's like pack up anything you want to take home tonight and i said okay so <laughs> did that and i'm sure everyone else has told you there's so, yeah it was a sunday night i was sitting at a local bar with my now wife and a couple friends we were watching some playoff football and my phone rings and it was peter cat who was like the legal guy at wizard at that point and he was like hey andy sorry to call you on a sunday but uh just letting you know you don't need to come in tomorrow so you know <laughs> wow that was pretty good. It was sunday night about six or seven o'clock clock. I mean, I was a couple beers in at that point. We've been eating some chicken wings and whatever. We kind of knew it was going to happen, but at that point, you literally thought, like, it can't get any more low class than this. Like, they got to the point where they couldn't even show their faces to tell you what was happening. I definitely took that as an affront, although to be fair, I'd already been let go once, so I couldn't be that upset. I got a second go around and I tried to make the most of it while I was there. I was definitely angry and bitter for a little while, but I don't Sweat any of that stuff anymore? Like it was just a thing that happened like a long time ago. Yeah. You know that next week, Mike Cotton and whoever they kept at that point, they started up. I think they were doing like an electronic newsletter or something. Yeah. They immediately transitioned into that. So you know, listen, I can't fault them for the guys who stayed behind. If you've got jobs, you got to keep working. You know, like I know there's that sentiment out there of like, oh well, if you don't like it, just quit your job and go do something else. But if you've ever lost your job or you've quit your job and have been looking for a while you know you don't really leave a paying gig unless you have savings or some kind of plan to fall back on Spike cotton is still my best friend to this day i talk to him regularly i was in his wedding party today's his anniversary by the way Ah, oh. he'll kill me for mentioning this <laughs> people knew what was happening but the way it went down was like man you can't imagine a shittier scenario than the way they kind of handled things at that point so
1: now on a happier note though up to that point, what would you say had been the greatest perk of working at Wizard for you?
0: Well, I mean, perk wise, I mean, it doesn't if you're a comic book reader or a collector, it, you know, you were getting free stuff pretty regularly. Like, even if you didn't have a major beat, you were still getting free stuff somewhere. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be on I was on DC and Dark Horses mailing list for a couple of years at the same time. So every month, the way it works is you would get preview copies on a PDF like ahead of time if you needed to review stuff. But at the end of the month, you'd get a big box that had everything they published that month, including trades. That was a great perk to have. Some of that would go into the library. You could keep what you'd want, and then you'd give everything else away to the staff because, like, there were guys who didn't get to get all that cool free stuff. So you wanted to make sure that the treasures were getting spread around, so to speak. Besides that, you know, like, hey, I was lucky enough to cover Bowen designs for a while. Like, I was the stuff guy for many years, and they were very generous. They sent me a Christmas gift one year. I got a Dr. Doom statue that's still up on my shelf here in my office. Oh, awesome.
1: Did you have to share with Brian?
0: Was Brian like, I want that? (laughs) I had, like, base model Brian had like platinum plus. You know? <laughs> like and Brian paid out of pocket as soon as it came out. And I'll say this about Brian too. When we were breaking down the wizard office, I, he was giving his stuff away. Like he, you know, people were walking out of there with twenty or thirty bow and busts and statues that Brian just didn't want to deal with. So it was like, hey, here, take this, take a generous guy. Like you can't even imagine. Like, hey, take all this stuff that I've been, you know, holding on to for you know 10, 15 years or whatever it was. And like you didn't even think twice. That's the kind of guy he was. That's awesome. Love to hear that. And I want to say this about perks, Adam. You know, getting to travel, I got a passport because I worked at Wizard. So having to do all that, the free stuff, going to do all things, all those perks are amazing. But I will tell you this, my friend, I... Had the same amount of money at the end of the 12 years of Wizard. (laughs) (laughs) I started at Wizard. It was a dream job, but I was dirt poor for the large duration of it, which is fine. You know, like that's how you figure out life and everything else. And I wouldn't change or trade anything that ever happened to me at Wizard, but I have no problem telling you that I used to steal ramen sometimes just to get by.
1: <laughs> and, and that being the case, as we're talking about some of the mementos you know, and swag that you've held on to, specifically, there was a George Perez Hawkeye drawing that was commissioned for your birthday that's featured in your profile on your office wall, and you're wearing a Hawkeye shirt as
0: we're doing the interview today. Yep. So did you, I, I assume that is still somewhere in your home. It is in my home. I've been slowly but surely reclaiming this room that I'm in now sort of a working office and I'm finally starting to be able to put up some of my mementos and stuff and my Perez Hawkeye piece is the first thing that I am hanging up in here as soon as I can find a usable stud yeah you know that that was a little tradition we had around the bullpen for a couple of years it was Chris Lawrence one of our staff writers who kind of started that because he got so good with George and they became kind of friendly through their working relationship and so it just became a thing where it was like when your birthday was rolling around all the wizard guys would pool in a couple of bucks and they would find a guy and you'd get a commission. You'd get at least one piece during your time there if you were there for any length of time. And I remember that was the first time I cried at the wizard office. <laughs> they busted that thing out and showed that to me for my birthday and I that made me feel like I was really a part of something that was really special. I never earned a bonus or anything like that anywhere I had worked previously. And you know, like, what they would give you for the Christmas holiday was like a $20 gift certificate at the local supermarket market or whatever so you know it was like bullshit so to get like a, a commissioned piece a full body piece by George and it's framed and everything you're like holy shit they were a special group of guys and I still have that and uh, yeah there's a couple I, I bought the first last man standing piece that I ever had to commission which was a Butch Geist piece he did Black Widow and Black Canary so I bought that from him because I wanted to have that and uh, I bought a Phil Jimenez piece He did um, our, uh, he did the Marvel villains versus the DC villains uh-huh. in a giant group shot and he was super sweet he didn't even make me go through his agent or anything it was just he and i were dealing with that and that's i mean one of the reasons i love that guy so much super generous super great guy love him to death that's why we still talk now not because he sold me the piece but just because i love the guy so much his worldview and everything so uh yeah those are the a couple of those special pieces i made sure i put aside for myself after getting to work on them like that that was uh, really something extra special yeah that's awesome Awesome. Now, it
1: comes down to this. One of the characters in The Office that you haven't mentioned, so we gotta ask like we ask everybody else. Garib Shavis, cool or fool?
0: Ooh, I like how you threw me this curveball, Adam, because this question came a little bit earlier in the sheet that you showed me. <laughs> Saving this for last, so this is okay with me. Listen, I'll say this, okay? He is definitely not a fool. He helped create something that a lot of people enjoyed that helped make people a lot of money. I'm talking about the artists and all these guys who were covered by wizard for a number of years, you know, don't think that getting a wizard cover didn't help you when it was time to negotiate your rate with Marvel and DC and stuff. So, you know, he helped a lot of people make a lot of money and he did something. He at least helped get this thing started, which brought a lot of special people together. Having said that, no way is he cool either. (laughs) You would not want to hang out with him socially. I don't know the man very well, but I have interacted with him, and I'd like to try to forget those moments very much. And that's about all I'll say on that front. Sure. I I, I will tell you this story. This is a good story, Adam, that I can kind of sum up all my interactions with Garib. So he's in the New York office. We're helping him take stuff down to his car, because this is what would happen. Like, if he was in the building or he was involved with something, we would have to pitch in to make it look like we were supporting him right so all right everybody get together we're helping garab take stuff down to the car so i'm pulling a cart and i get on the elevator ahead of him and the cart's making a funny noise right so i go ah the squeaky wheel gets the grease right garab and he goes no nah, the squeaky wheel gets fired around here <laughs> like whoa okay cool you know <laughs> And, you know, this is after all these people had all already been laid off. You know, this is the leaner, tighter ship we're now running in the New York office. Now, let, let me
1: ask this then. So uh, out of all the conversation we've had here, all the questions we've asked, what question am I not asking about your time at Wizard that I should be
0: asking? What hasn't come up yet? I want to compliment you guys on your interviewing setup, because I thought these questions were really good and very comprehensive and, and touched on a lot of different topics. It's funny you don't ask anything about conventions. No matter how much fun you think we were having after hours at conventions, it was a thousand times better than you think it was. Wow. Especially, listen, not everybody was like this, Adam. I want to I want to state this, okay? There were a core group of us who really liked to hang out and drink and carouse and do all of that kind of stuff that's, you know, very fun in your 20s, but definitely not so popular when you're approaching 50. So when it's 4.30 in the morning in your hotel room with half the guest list from Wizard World and you've all got to get up in five hours to go trudge around in whatever City, we're in now. I mean, it was like being a rock star for a little while. And like, when you're a nerdy, fat guy who didn't really have a great dating history or who was socially awkward, feeling like a rock star is pretty freaking awesome. And people coming up to you at those shows telling you how much they love the magazine and how much they think it's great that you wear the Viking helmet or whatever, like, I didn't necessarily want to be famous, but this kind of limited fame was very cool. Also, you know, I'll put it that way. Probably the best. Stretch of my life of being creative and fun, and the people I was surrounded with. And the conventions were just like a license to be like even extra because you just wanted to have extra fun and make it fun for everybody else. And that's just what we tried to do wherever we were. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it was like this nirvana for you guys. It's just like, ah. <laughs> it's hard not to look back on it now, Adam, and think like, man, if Wizard could have hung on for a couple more years, we would have been in a golden age. Yeah we could have had a 100 employees again, or whatever it was, if we could have just held on for a couple more years, or if they had pivoted to digital a little quicker, or we maybe could have avoided a few things. I think, you know, not getting a website up as quick as we did was probably one thing that hurt us when the web was launching and getting big at that point. But man, like I said, hearing you interview all the other guys and gals that we worked with and listening to these podcasts, man, it stirred up so many great memories. And I'm just thrilled that you guys would even want to talk to a podunk contributor like me who you know like i always play down like i minimize my role there but you guys are making me feel like this was like some of the best stuff i've ever done and really appreciate you like taking some interest and in just wanting to talk about it. it's a lot of fun
1: yeah absolutely and i know there's a lot of our listeners out there it just it meant so much to them every ounce of effort you guys put into the magazine it was just like that was the happy place each month you could just look <laughs> through those pages you know so I, just as we close I, here yep. having personally experienced, you know, the rise and fall of Wizard over this 12 year period essentially, 1999 to 2011 how would you ultimately describe the legacy of the magazine We're in the 30th anniversary year what do you think it meant to the history of comics?
0: Wizard is almost a microcosm of the world we are living in today right now, right? Like, there are people who are such diehard fans and then there's people who kind of came along for the ride and if you're a female reader, you probably the hated Wizard a lot of times for stupid things that we did, and I can completely get that. If you were super into comics and we were writing too much about TV and movies, I can understand that. But literally, there was no place else in the comics community like Wizard, where people could come together and talk about comics and read about comics and discover comics, like things you would have never read or known about. And Adam, I still follow all the news, you know. I go on a lot of the current comic sites and everything, and it's fine, you know, but what? I think the one thing is like I can't I think you guys mentioned it in one of your podcasts or I read it on the website. It's like everything you see on the web is derivative of what started at Wizard, whether it's doing comic book reviews or pinups from your favorite guys or whoever, whatever it is. It's like that. All of that stuff originated from Wizard. The first looks, the previews, all of that things. We did all that stuff first in the magazine before it kind of became pretty common to just release five or six pages of this book and that book on Newsarama and CBR and whatever else it is so i think wizard had its place it 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 kind of planted the flag for a lot of what became Digital comics journalism, I mean, between the access we got, especially tap top, top level talent and the things we were able to do with custom commissions and putting characters together who you would never see anywhere else like that, nobody could touch Wizard in that regard. And I think that is something like every anyone who ever worked at the magazine can hang their hat on, is that Wizard was sort of the Lewis and Clark of what became comics journalism. And another thing I think we did better than anybody else is the long form stuff. I don't think there's anybody out there who's doing the really in-depth profile pieces or the, you know, multiple sources and, like, months of reporting. Nobody's doing that kind of stuff except for Jim McLaughlin. I You know, I still see him doing stuff for Newsarama or GamesRadar, whatever they're called now, every once in a while. But that was the kind of stuff I think Wizard can really hang its hat on is those things that literally none of those websites can follow up with now. So how did working at Wizard affect
1: your future career? And then what are you up to these days?
0: Ooh, yeah, so when Wizard went away and I got laid off at the end of that second tenure, I did not want to work in Manhattan anymore. I was done with that. I had a long-term girlfriend who I was living with. We were looking to get married and start a family. So I knew like that commute and all of that kind of quality of life stuff. I didn't want to continue doing that. And, you know, I tried half-heartedly to maybe get a job at Marvel and DC. It didn't really go about it the best way, and I kind of didn't really want to do that anyway. So, you know, I was looking to try to get a real job, in quotes again. <laughs> and first of all, I helped Mike Cotton launch his champion startup. I don't know how many people know about this, but after Mike left Wizard Entertainment, he started his own thing, and we launched it as a digital digital iPad magazine which was called Champion. And it was literally just Wizard, but what we wanted to do with it, right? And so we did that for about a year and a half. And we had some good people working on that. Sam Simon from The Simpsons was one of our investors. So he had a vested interest in kind of helping us keep that thing going. Unfortunately, Sam got really sick and passed away not too long afterwards. But that was kind of the initial thing that kept us going. And we love doing that. It was Mike Cotton and I and Steve Blackwell who was a long-time creative director at Wizard. The three of us worked on that for a long time, brought in a bunch of the contributors that we knew and had worked with at Wizard. But ultimately the money ran out and then we couldn't kind of latch on with a bigger media company. So here I am now, I'm looking for another gig. Toys R Us is hiring at the corporate office. And it just so happens I have plenty of toy experience thanks to Toy Fair and Wizard. So I got in there as a freelancer and then I worked there until that company went bankrupt. <laughs> and now I do gig jobs. I do freelance stuff. I've had some long-term engagements, but now with COVID, you know, I'm a full-time caregiver to my daughter. So, you know, I'm taking care of her, and in my downtime, I'm looking for new stuff, like whatever it is. And now I'm really trying to figure out what is the thing I want to do until I die. But I'd love to write more, man. That's what I'm trying to do now is just, I always told myself that I didn't have the talent to write a novel or or try to tackle my own book. And so now I'm trying to prove myself wrong. So and the downtime when I'm not being a dad, that's what I'm trying to do is, is get a book off the ground. Well good luck sticking it to your own self doubt. Yeah, that's the, the best revenge is the one against myself. So. <laughs> and hey, I want to throw this out there, not for nothing. You guys got me thinking about this wizard stuff now. Seeing that we didn't get to say a goodbye, it's got my wheels turning already. And I've got access to some files so we'll see what happens i might have to make some phone calls and seeing if there's maybe a little something we could put together as like a goodbye ebook that we could do like for fans or something like that
1: we like the sound of that well uh andy man such a great conversation thank you so much for the stories for your enthusiasm for your perspective the highs and the lows it really was a pleasure
0: having you on Dude, the pleasure's all mine. Honestly, I'm honored to even be considered for this. Like I said, talking about this stirred a lot of things up. There was a lot of great that came out of this. And hopefully, uh, I'll just be very ominous. It's not over
1: yet. <laughs> And on that ominous note, we want to thank Andy for joining us this time around. Of course, we want to thank you for listening, and what a journey we all went on there, huh? The high times, the final days, ooh, the drama of it all. But yes, it was very exciting to hear that perspective, but we're even more excited to hear your story. If you are one of the former Wizard staffers, or Toy Fair staffers, or Inquest staffers, any one of those Wizard Press or Wizard Entertainment publications, we want to hear from you. It's your time to get the spotlight and give us your insight into what it took to create all these magazines that so many of us loved and enjoyed and influenced their respective industries. And outside of that, we want to invite you all to go ahead and listen to our main show, Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, where we go in-depth on an issue of Wizard Magazine month by month. Of course, you could also check out our Wizards half episodes, our mini episodes, where we get a to those nitty-gritty details, even the literal fine print where the jokes were hiding. And also, if you want to go over to our YouTube channel, you will find even more fun and excitement. There's plenty of videos that we not only have created in the past, but also some that have been previously locked and now are being presented to the public. Yes, so you can get our opinions on the lamest comics in our collections or the most valuable comics in our collections. Things of that nature are coming your way, so go ahead and find Wizards Podcast on YouTube and subscribe over there. And hey, if you're enjoying these interviews or any of the other shows we just mentioned, why not go on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review or any other place that you can spread the word about Wizards the Podcast Guide to Comics. We want the community to grow. We want to find our fellow geeks out there and get a chance to share memories. We love hearing from you on social media, so reach out to us at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on instagram and until next time we're closing the files
0: this has been a presentation of the retro network